Welcome to episode 34 of the GameBots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. This week, we're joined again by Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me again. Of course. On this week's episode, we're going to finish up our discussion on the MCU. So first, we're going to talk about Black Panther. Christian, what did you think about Black Panther? I really like Black Panther. It was uh, I wasn't really sure what to expect going in. But between the world building and the like, the cool tech that they get to to showcase for the first time, I thought it was a lot of fun. There's a couple things I really like about Black Panther. One of them is that I do really like Michael B. Jordan as the villain, and like you said, I like the cool tech and I like the African inspired art style. But there's a couple parts of this movie that just uh, make me lose interest, and I, I think hurt it overall. Uh, what about you, Adrian? What do you think of it? Upon the rewatch, I I forgot that I didn't give this movie a chance. I guess when I first watched it, because I did I did enjoy it, but there is some issues that I had with it, as you did too. It was a beautiful film. The cinematography is unbelievable in this movie, and also the um, the colors, everything else visually to make the film visually spectacular was there. However, my the few issues that I had, uh, it, it didn't feel like a comic book movie for me. It didn't feel like it was kind of part of the MCU. And that, that's where I was having my little issues with it. I agree with you on that point. I thought the Busan scene felt like a comic book movie. And maybe that's why some people like this one so much is because it's not a stereotypical comic book movie. But for it being, you know, an MCU movie, I feel like it should have some of those tropes. I thought the plot made absolutely no sense where they would just allow Killmonger to become a king even though his brother had been basically banned a traitor. And then they were all about tradition, but then once Killmonger became in, all tradition got thrown out the window. I just thought this movie was very uneven on their plot points and things just seemed to happen for a, so that the story could move along. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad you brought that up. This movie does suffer from convenience a lot, I think, especially on the part of just vibranium itself, which is my main complaint about this movie is it can do literally anything the plot needs it to. Exactly. I, like I got a little bit into this back when we talked about Age of Ultron where like vibranium can somehow create living tissue. I'm not really sure how that works. Like we see it in Captain America and we know it's like the strongest metal and or whatever. It's what Cap's shield is made out of. And for a long time, I assumed that was all it was. It's just a normal metal. But now it's from space and it can create human tissue and it's it can do like computer conducting stuff and make all this future tech and create force fields and make flowers that generate super soldiers like it's it can do literally everything. I understand that, you know, even if vibranium is this wonder material, did Wakanda independently discover every single human discovery uh, regard, regarding like math and science also? Because there's they have essentially a stealth Quinjet in the 90s. Like where if they are so closed off, where did they get all of the information on how to actually utilize the vibranium? Yeah, they, they they independently figured out every scientific and mathematical breakthrough in isolation. Adrian, what did you think of T'Challa himself as the Black Panther? 
I thought he was uh, it was realistic of how he had you know how he had to become king and whatnot and I, I enjoyed that aspect especially the, the tribal aspect of it and all this and all and that was that scene was very interesting with the, the day that he was becoming king Every, all the tribes of Wakanda had to come together and it's sort of like if somebody objected they had to fight him but it was really neat because he had to be stripped of the Black Panther powers in order to fight, which is which is I kind of did like for that reason. The idea of going to Wakanda was so gorgeous. I mean, the idea I was like, I want to go there. It was one of those world building movies. I want to go there. But it was so closed off. And it, it felt like, you know what? It felt like the origins of Wakanda sounded awfully like the Amazons from Wonder Woman to protect the Wakandans, they built this invisible shield around Wakanda. You couldn't see it. They had an isolation problem. I mean, they didn't like to have the idea of refugees coming in, didn't want to help them at first. I did like this movie for the few action scenes that it had. Again, not really, it didn't feel like a comic book movie because it had such a lack of action. I I really like the Busan scene, especially with uh, driving, uh, having his sister uh, separately in the car and then going through. I thought that scene was well done. Another character who I thought was pretty awesome was M'Baku. I, I really enjoyed his character as being essentially the naysayer of the Wakandan tribes. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about the fighting to become the leader of Wakanda, you remind me of another plot point. In the entire history of Wakanda, have they not had one bad leader? Because... How has no one ever been like, yep, we're going to go conquering or whatever? So they, in their entire history, they just had all good leaders until Killmonger. I guess not. Christian, what did you think about Andy Serkis in this? Oh, my God, I loved him. Like, I, I liked everybody in this. Like, Chadwick and Lupita were both great. Andy Serkis was super fun. I'm, I'm sad we're not going to get to see more of him. The, the interaction he has with Martin Freeman in the casino is just absolutely perfect. <laughs> Please don't make me listen to your mixtape. Is, I, I just love it. Like Martin Freeman really got to shine in this movie uh, as opposed to in Civil War where he's just kind of like a background character and this one he gets uh, a lot more screen time. Yeah, I, I thought Claw was pretty awesome as well. I wish that he had not been killed because I would have liked to see him make another comeback as just a tertiary villain or something like that. What did you guys think about the final battle scene? The first time we watched this movie, the projector actually broke. So during the battle, the colors were all wrong. <laughs> but I've I've since seen it, and it's been fine. I I like the final battle in this. It was it was a lot of fun. The one on one fight between T'Challa and Killmonger was less exciting than like the the outside like full out like full scale battle. But uh, it was still it was fine. Uh, I did actually like the open field battle scene, and it really was a precursor and I think maybe a test for the Infinity War battle scene because, you know, it takes place in the same area and they have a lot of the same tech in use. Yes, I agree, too. Oh, uh, on on the topic of Martin Freeman, just briefly, there is a deleted scene from this movie that I feel like is a shame didn't actually get included because I think it's Martin Freeman's best scene in the movie which is just before it's it's right at the end just before T'Challa's going to the UN to like unveil their country for what it is and Martin Freeman comes up and like tells him good luck in Wakandan and they they kind of like laugh at him because he like he butchers it 
and he's like hey it's getting better it's getting better it's, it's just a, it's a very nice moment between like all the characters that shows like how, how they've grown and developed it, it's i'm i'm just bummed out it didn't get uh, included into the movie but you can find it on youtube pretty easily the next movie released in the mcu is ant-man and the wasp adrian what did you think of this one i kind of you know forgot about it as soon as i watched it <laughs> again it was it was riding the coattails of infinity war and i think what was happening in this movie is that they had way too many storylines happening with the idea of you know trying to save janet the civil war fallout and then all of a sudden this you know this ghost uh, character appears and why was walter goggins in this movie at all like why did this movie get need to get made? That's exactly what I have in my notes is it's a surprisingly full movie. Like it's not as jam packed as civil war was, but there's still a lot of like conflicting plots going on here. And there's no true villain, which I think hurts the movie. Yeah. Agreed. But I think this is actually a good movie to come out after infinity war. And man of the wasp is a good palate cleanser. It's a comedy after the intensity of like the snap and the ending of Infinity War. I think it's a good way to refresh audiences before you go back out into the cosmic universe with Captain Marvel. Yeah, it's I mean, we had kind of talked about that last week. The The original Ant-Man was kind of the same way coming out between uh, Ultron and Civil War. It was a nice little buffer. One thing I did like about this movie was I like that we saw the fallout for Scott Lang of basically abandoning Hope and Hank Pym and then basically just hating him. And then we actually get to see the fully realized version of Hank Pym's tech with being able to shrink buildings and everything. And then the implications that all of it has on Endgame. But I'm with you guys. Like, I, I think this is just an OK movie. Yeah, I think it's it's fine for what it is. It's not bad. Right. I think it's just really overshadowed by the fact that like everything coming out around it was so much better. It's a fitting sequel to Ant-Man. It's it's just as if not more ridiculous, but it kind of brings you in on the silliness instead of having it be at odds with everything. And it is a bit more serious than the original one is, too. Yeah, you also actually see like you had said uh, about Ant-Man, you get to see just how out outclassed he uh, Scott Lang is by hope because she's such a good hero, whereas he is bumbling for the most part. Yeah. I will say my favorite part of this movie was Randall Park, the FBI agent. His interactions with Scott, I think, are the best part of the movie, especially towards the end when he keeps trying to find him, but he, he actually wants to be friends with him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, do you want to go to brunch? Like, no, but, but wait, like, are you actually asking? Do you want to go to brunch? Like it was just as a very fun character to me. Now, what I would with Randall Park, what I w would hope is, could he be the next like kind of like Agent Coulson? Like, is he going to just pop up like randomly in these movies and whatnot? I don't expect it, but I would be very into it if it happened. That's the feel I got from that from his character. Is like, oh wait, is he going to be like the next Coulson? What? Okay. Adrian, you had brought up that this has a lot of plot points. Mm -hmm. I definitely think it would have been stronger had they focused on the molecular world or whatever, the subatomic sub world, because I thought that those parts were actually pretty cool, but they didn't explain how she survived down there or anything. You just saw a brief glimpse and then they came back up. 
Yeah. And it was like, if they would have actually spent time on the idea of saving Janet in less time on this useless villain, Walter Goggins, I think it would have been so much better. And even down to the, 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 you know, keeping with the Civil War fallout where there was, you know, with him trying to struggle because he had what had two days left on house arrest. Yeah, something like that. But I mean, it, just even in the beginning of the movie, when he was trying to go through the uh, the cardboard maze uh, with his daughter, I was like, OK, this is cute. OK, we're not done yet. Oh, we're still not done yet. OK, we're still going through this maze. Okay, we're done. Please, please, can we finish this? As I said, it was just way too much going on, and then we had to throw this this character ghost in, and I was like, okay, what's her point? And I'd love to say that you would be able to skip this on like a a rewatch, but watching Endgame and knowing what I know now about it, like some of the plot elements of this are wildly important. It's become a Thor Dark World. <laughs> I mean, let's not be. Let's not be too cruel. Okay, yeah. I have Ant-Man and the Wasp above Thor Dark World. Okay. But yeah, it it is similar in that like it's not it's not great and it doesn't like it doesn't really hold up on its own. But to really get like the full experience out of Endgame, this is something that you need to watch, which is a bummer. I want to give a heads up. We are going to do Infinity War and Endgame at the very end, so we're trying to get everything up to that point. So the next movie we're going to talk about is Captain Marvel. Christian, what did you think of it? I love this movie. Like, Brie Larson is a Marvel, pun fully intended. Like, I I called the twist about 30 minutes before it happened, but that did not detract from the experience at all. I love this movie. I love Carol Danvers. Her attitude, her look, her backstory, the whole thing. Just give me as much as you can. So what did you think, Adrian? Uh, believe it or not, it was a meh movie for me. Like I, I rewatched it yesterday to see if I had the, you know, any other feeling or if I liked it any more or any less. I still liked it. I mean, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I guess it's because I did read uh, Captain Marvel in the comics. I guess the the, the there was something wrong with the script. There was just like, I, I just didn't feel as though it was bringing out the character as much as it should have. And uh, from what I, what I gathered from the comics and whatnot. And I, don't, I know we're not talking about Endgame, but the Russo brothers did such a better job with Brie Larson with her very short screen time than what the directors did for Captain Marvel. So, I, I mean, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I'm going to piggyback off you. I actually don't particularly like it's okay. I think I'm with you. I think it's meh. It's definitely in my bottom half of the Marvel list. And I'm going to give you a chance to rebut this Christian, because if I remember (laughs) right on our podcast, you really like Brie Larson in this. I did not think she did a very good job. She just seemed disinterested in all of her lines. The lines they gave her made it seem like she was supposed to be witty and just doing things off the cuff kind of like a toned down deadpool or something but all of her deliveries for those fell flat and it kind of took me out of the movie and i I was not a fan of her uh, as captain marvel in this one yeah see i i thought the exact opposite i felt like she i I don't know what it was i just felt like she hit those lines perfectly I, i i guess disinterested is kind of where i put her as a as a character like she's had her entire past taken away from her and she's just kind of playing it by ear 
And so the attitude that she assumed in the movie, I, I thought was perfect. I thought it was spot on for what, where she should be. One character I think we both agree that we liked is I really liked Talos and I did not actually see that twist coming uh, until it happened. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so I, I thought he was good. I'm hoping that they have more of them and I like that they sort of subverted my expectations by having the Skrulls not be the bad guys. Yeah, he was absolutely the real star of this movie. Ben Mendelsohn, he was so good as Talos. He went all in. That scene in the living room where he's talking about, like, don't go all jazz hands in your friend's house. Like, he's sipping on that that drink. He was, it was so funny. And he, he plays it really well. He goes from the, he takes the character from being a perceived villain and, and maybe not being great at it, but, like, he's definitely supposed to be a bad guy to to being almost a hero and maybe an anti-hero he's like he's a complex and he's a multifaceted character and Mendelssohn really plays that well like i i really can't say enough about his performance yeah and and on top of that jackson samuel jackson was good but this is really the first huge use of de-aging that we saw what did you guys think of that colson was i thought was great uh samuel l jackson was a little it, it took a little bit for me to yeah, once I got used to looking at it, looking at him at that, I was like, okay, this is actually good. It was very fun to see uh, Coulson in a, an MCU movie again. I really enjoyed that, just on principle. But uh, the de-aging tech was pretty cool, uh, especially because it got to be displayed the entire way through the movie instead of just being like a, a little gimmick at the beginning or in a flashback or something. So it was it was nice to see that they've come such a long way that it could be a, a feature the entire way through. What did you guys think about the plot on this one? I thought it was a cool idea, but I didn't think it was paced the best. And, and I thought it kind of fell flat for parts of the middle. But I did like hearing about uh, having Ronan the Accuser sort of come back into the picture. I like the idea of her going back to the Earth and you're, you're finding about, about the origin story. I think Amnesia stories are a little bit overdone, so I wish they had done something different with that. But overall... I thought the plot was good. I just wish they had paced it better. Yes, that's where I think that's where I can probably agree with the idea of the uh, the script and the pacing and the direction. And my problem was is that she's a cosmic kind of like that when they world build Hela or Hela, where where the Kree were from, that place was beautiful. And uh, I guess it, it was actually said with the other Kree warriors and they go, oh, you ever been to, you know, I think, it, I forget what they called Earth, but you know, they go, yeah, it's a shithole. <laughs> I mean, so. And then we didn't get enough for, you know, the idea of the other warriors involved. And then who was the, the Holson or the, the one guy from Guardians of the Galaxy? Korath. So, but yeah, Korath shows up. I was like, hey, we've seen him before. I did not like their nods to the 90s, whereas I thought Guardians did it pretty well. I think this one was too much like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's a 90s reference that it, it, it bothered me. In growing up in the, in the 90s, I have a feeling I'm a little older than you guys. And so I was in high school during the 90s. And so it, it's fresh in my mind pretty much. And. Yeah, it it was like kind of like she's wearing, you know, she's wearing a grunge outfit and that when she actually went into full power, that song choice was I, I as I said, I watched it yesterday and I still eye rolled. 
I I rolled with I'm just a girl. Gwen Stefani was a bit much for sure. I didn't mind most of the other music choices. I uh, like you had mentioned before about the lunchbox uh, being like a a '90s reference. Like that didn't really bother me at all. But uh, Gwen Stefani was a bit much for sure. I felt like this was the ultimate hype movie for Endgame. If you hadn't seen Infinity War in a while, because after I saw this, like this is the movie I watched where I was like, I can't wait for Endgame. I'm going to watch all the movies. Like it did get me pumped up for that. So I will give it that. That's what I kept on telling people at the box office. And they go, how was Captain Marvel? It's like, if anything, it's going to get you pumped up for Endgame. And we forgot to mention, and we forgot to mention Goose the Cat was another MVP too. Uh, what did you guys think of Goose? <laughs> what did I think? I want a flirkin. Yeah, I think he may have been my favorite like character. Well, no, Talos was, but Goose was awesome. And I love that that's how Nick Fury lost his eye. <laughs> that was another good thing about this movie too it's like all throughout this movie you were like is this how fury loses his eye and wait is this how he wait 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 nope nope oh he gets his eye scratched out oh yeah they had so many false flags about it it was like hot tub time machine they meet a man with one arm in the present and then when they go back to the past it's it's the same thing it's it's nothing but like like he's like juggling chainsaws at one point and they're like oh this is it this is how it happens this is how it happens and, and then, like, you don't, like, it, it happens probably seven times before they actually show how he lost his arm. It's like, and he gets in that car accident. You, your eye okay? I was like, is this how he loses it? That was another good thing about that whole movie. It was like, when is he going to lose his eye? Uh, I feel like we were harsher on this one, Christian, that you want to defend the movie for. No, I mean, my, my defense of the movie was basically just that it was super fun. Like, I, I loved it. I, I loved her. The Jude Law was great. Like he's he's great in everything, though. To, to be honest, I was sorry we didn't see him at least a little bit in Endgame, but uh, you know, I'm sure she'll be around for a while. He might make a comeback. The relationship between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson, I think, is what made this movie, at, at least for me, as good as it was. I thought they had great on-screen chemistry. I just I really liked their relationship. All right, the next movie we're going to be talking about is Avengers Infinity War. Adrian, what did you think about it? I absolutely, probably, I remember leaving the theater and going, what did we just watch? Because that ending where I kind of figured something big was going to happen, but it didn't, it left me kind of depleted because I was just like, where are they going to go from this? Watching it with an opening weekend crowd, or especially an opening night crowd, after uh, the credits started rolling, you could hear a pin drop in that theater. Absolute silence. <laughs> I think you were up front and I was up in the back, Christian. I remember, I remember saying, I don't know if the audience actually knows what to do with themselves right now. For what the Russas had to work with with so many characters, and so many different areas and so many worlds. I mean, I thought they did a wonderful job with the idea they they put everybody everywhere. They even split up the Guardian. I mean, it was just like, all right, we're just gonna work with uh, what we have and just put you guys everywhere. But no, I, I thought they, I, did, I thought the Russos did a wonderful job. When you went to the theater, especially on opening weekend, you weren't watching a movie, you were actually at an event. what do you think, Christian? This movie's number one for me. Like, this was incredible. And I mean, it was, 
it was Empire Strikes Back for the new generation, right? Like bad guys win, good guys lose, what comes next? And for a, a lot of people, they're not, like Adrian said, they didn't really know what to do with it. And it was, it was awesome. Like it ended like almost shot for shot how I expected it to. And it still blew me away. I will say the closest thing to the no, I am your father by Darth Vader in movie history is probably the snap there at the end when like Thor just comes so close and, and fails. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's like a cultural phenomenon. Like I talk a lot about, I find it interesting that the highest grossing movie in, in history is Avatar and it left almost no cultural footprint, right? Like you, you probably can't name two characters from that movie. Oh no, I, I saw Avatar once and all I remember are like the braid stuff. It was not a good movie. They were blue Smurfs in space with the storyline of Pocahontas. But this, this is as far from that as you can get. Like it, it's, it's high grossing. It, it, I think might be in the top five worldwide, but this was such a phenomenon. And it's, it's like Adrian said, it was an event more than a movie. Like it was, it was a whole thing, 10 years in the making. And it was just, it was incredible to have grown up with this franchise and see it culminate in, in uh, these two movies. Yeah. I, I think this movie has handled the combining of all of the MCU movies and series is better than I could have imagined. And I think actually the scale of it for me is a little bit detrimental. And that's why I like Endgame a little bit more, which I'll go into in a little bit. But they do a really good job of combining everyone together in this, which seems impossible because there's, what, near 20 heroes in this movie? That was a main concern of mine going into this movie is how are you going to pace this so it feels right when you have like 16 protagonists. And I, I think they nailed it. Like, yeah, you split them up. You make it three stories where each group is combined in, in a way that you weren't really expecting. It's not just Guardians and Avengers. It's everybody kind of mixed together, but still split up into, into different groups. And you focus on each one a little at a time. And I think it, it worked perfectly. I was blown away by like how nice how well paced this movie was pacing is i think near perfect on it but i do want to say a couple things this movie's low-key funny which i was su surprised about but there are two things that just i could not i could not comprehend number one vision is just fully a human for part of this <laughs> i mean i know we, we all agree vision sucks and the other one is they have Tyrion the dwarf, but as a giant dwarf. <laughs> well, vision being a human just goes back to vibranium can do everything. And sometimes when he's a human, you can see the stone in his forehead and sometimes you can't. But I will say some characters definitely got a lot of screen time to make them uh, more well-rounded. And Gamora is one of those characters. She did a really good job in this movie. This is where my issue was. It, a little part of me uh, is with Gamora. Fascinating story arc for her. But it kind of felt like they fridged her. I don't know what you mean by fridged her. Uh, fridging is, uh, especially with a female character, when they kill a or injure or whatnot to a female character in a comic or any kind of story, 
to motivate the male character. So, and I went, this is, oh man, are you serious? They fridged, I think they fridged Gamora. The idea that even down to like Thanos, you know, that motivated Thanos and then it motivated Peter Quill and then it motivated, you know, just because they had to kill off a female character to motivate the male character. What do you guys think overall of Thanos's plan? I actually think it's one of the more ridiculous series, but Josh uh, Brolin does such a good job delivering the lines. But him just being like, I'm going to remove life on or half of life in the universe. But then he doesn't understand like the unintended consequences of that. Like if you look at Guardians, Gamora is stated to be the last of her people. So theoretically, all of her race died because of him. Yeah, so if you hold the power of the gods, right, like you can create or destroy anything at a whim and you're like, there aren't enough resources. I feel like the first choice would be make more resources, not kill all the people using them. Like, why not just make a bunch of new planets and send them over there? Like, problems, problems still solved and you haven't murdered like a quadrillion people. Yeah, and I know that I know why they did this because they are trying to keep it in line with the comics that Thanos was trying to court death as is as an embodiment of a character by offering offering one half of the life in the universe. So I understand why they tried to keep that plot point, but under scrutiny doesn't make sense. Like, what if it's a planet with six creatures on it with abundance? You kill six of them, it does nothing. I would have been into the like the Lady Death story, and that's why I thought they had introduced Hela in Thor, because I thought she was going to be that. And like she was going to survive Ragnarok, and then she was going to be the one that Thanos was trying to court this whole time. Nope. They, they don't introduce the, that idea at all. They're just like, oh no, he wants to save people from themselves by killing them. Like, none of the, the plot points about Lady Death were in it at all, which was a shame, because I was kind of excited to see her. Yeah, same. Well, I mean, I guess I knew beforehand that she wasn't going to be in it, but I agree with you. I think they could have tried to do that a little bit of a different way. Also, I want to point out that Doctor Strange is almost as useful as Vision in the battle of when they're in New York. Like, for being the Sorcerer Supreme... He gets taken out pretty easily by the Squidward alien. <laughs> I mean, just just going back to what you had said about Roland, like he is perfect in this role. And I mean, I, I, I'm sure I've said that a lot because it's true about almost every one of the protagonists they've cast for all of these movies. But he is absolutely perfect as Thanos. He delivers those lines with such gravity. Uh, what I foretold came to pass and sometimes the hardest choices require the strongest wills like the, the like those are lines you have to deliver with like an amount of of arrogance and gravitas and man he crushes it yeah and and on thanos i i really like thanos in infinity war more than i do in endgame and i think part of that is in in infinity war thanos is basically a force of nature because he has these the stones right you know he's going to win. It's just waiting to see how it happens. Yeah. But the whole time I was watching it, and especially on the planet where they hit him with the ship and Tony Stark was hitting him with Iron Man suit and you had Doctor Strange and stuff, the whole time I was watching that, I was just thinking, if he didn't have the Infinity Stones, 
these guys could take him really easily, which doesn't happen when he doesn't have the stones. He's also equally as powerful. Well, the, I know the Russo brothers have said that he's the strongest character that's ever appeared on screen. They said he's stronger than the Hulk, just just alone by himself. Because even in the beginning of Infinity War, when they were on the Asgardian ship, I think at that point he just had the Power Stone. And he took on the Hulk, and uh, Squidworth, I should say, um, was saying, no, let him have his fun. So, and he destroyed the Hulk. Very, I guess very quickly before we move on, we've talked a, a fair amount in the past about uh, music design and, and sound design. And I absolutely loved that during the snap, all the music and sound dropped out. It was just, it was just quiet. It really hit that point home that it, it was, there was no music. It was just dead quiet. And then the, the peaceful and sad little melody that plays as he sits on the porch is the same that plays during the credits when it, it pops up and says Avengers and then it, the, the logo turns to dust. Uh, outstanding. All right, and finally, we're to Endgame. So there are spoilers here if you have made it this far. And if you haven't seen Endgame yet, you're probably not going to want to listen to this part of the podcast. I will say I really enjoyed Endgame. Uh, it's not one of my top Marvel movies, but it met all expectations I had for it. And really, I, I only saw a few of the previews because I didn't want it to be spoiled. This movie went in a direction I was not anticipating, and I really liked it for that because it made the three-hour runtime just feel amazing when I had no idea what was going to happen from one moment to the next. What did you think of it, Christian? I put this at my number two, right below Infinity War. So when I watched it the first time, I was a little iffy. I was a little torn. I remember telling people I never expected Infinity War to live up to the hype, and it did. And I never expected Endgame to live up to the hype, and it didn't. But I've watched it now three times, and I've revised that. The more I think about it, the more I watch it, the more I enjoyed it. Like, I really, really like this movie. What about you, Adrian? I will actually flip. Uh, because upon rewatching Infinity War, it moved up, and then um, to number two, and then I I will say that Endgame is actually my number one. Yeah. So I mean, it is just the fact that I guess when we were uh, when I was watching it the first time, I guess it was the idea that I had all this hype and underneath me, and but the second time is when it hit me emotionally. Like uh, my friend Laura, who I took to the theater on opening weekend looked over at me and she goes, you're crying. I was like, yes. And I know that scene was coming. <laughs> so, and I'm still getting tears coming down my face. And she goes, I, and she even said, she goes, I've never heard a comic book movie, so many sniffles. I was like, oh yes. So, but it was just the fact that I think what it, what it did for me is that I had all these expectations. And I believe I could say that they shattered them for me. And I actually had the idea that they were going to use, okay, spoiler alert, time travel. But, and then I was just wondering, how are they going to do this? What I really liked about this movie, uh, and I alluded to it earlier, was it felt smaller than Infinity War for a majority of the movie. Where Infinity War, you're jumping 
throughout the galaxy with all the characters. For this one, you basically had the original Avenger cast with Ant-Man. And I think that it actually it helped the movie's narrative going forward because when you split into teams, you only really split into three teams and you didn't have as much going on until the very end when everyone comes back. Uh, which I actually really enjoyed about Endgame, and it's why it's higher for me on the list, uh, be- just because I felt like characters really got time to breathe. Captain America is great. Iron Man's great. Fat Thor is my favorite character in the MCU. They are releasing a Funko Pop of him, and I pre-ordered it, and I've never bought one of those things. <laughs> I didn't really care for Fat Thor. Really? Yeah, it was like it was fine. I just it was shocking. It made sense from a narrative standpoint. I just I wasn't expecting it, and it, it like it was very jarring. It's one of the things that I enjoyed more the second time. Once I like same, it was that and uh, Professor Hulk. I enjoyed both of those things the the second time because I knew they were coming. The first time, I think they just rocked me back so hard. I, I didn't really know what to do with it. Uh, the thing I really like about Thor is. He he is the one character that has gone through the most throughout the entirety of this. He starts out as the golden boy, loses his mom, loses his dad, loses his planet, loses his brother, and then loses his godlike physique. <laughs> I mean, and it was all because he didn't go for the head, and then when he went for the head, nothing changed. So it got worse. He fell into alcoholism, found that, you know, he just didn't care anymore. Yeah, you entered a depression. I, uh, yeah, I won't go too much. I thought he was hilarious in it. I thought it was probably the best story arc throughout the entire 22 movies. That was probably the conclusion of that story arc. And then how they made him into that third act and what he looked like was fantastic. With the braided beard hair kind of pulled back in a half ponytail. I was like, you look like the actual Thor from the comics. Can we talk about how lightning magic works in that, where lightning struck him and it braided his beard? (laughs) Now that I was into. I like that. I like the lightning braid, and I I did like what he looked like during that final confrontation. Like, that was okay, but when he was, when he was, uh, when he was in Big Lebowski mode, I was not, not quite as into it. I, I did like where they asked, is he asleep? And Don Cheadle said, nah, man, I'm pretty sure he's dead. Uh, let's try and go through this a little bit chronologically just because there's so much to cover here. One of the great scenes for me really was the opening with Hawkeye's family. I thought that part was chilling. Yes, very rough. Like that that opened up and it was him with his daughter. And I, I was like, oh, man, what a strong place to start. And, and you actually said, Christian, I remember you saying, oh, they're starting there. They're, oh, we're, we're starting here. Oh, no. Hitting immediately. Like, oh, did you forget what happened in Infinity War? We're going to remind you. The first hour of this movie is basically just everything's dire. It's 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 depressing. Yeah. And, and then walking Tony Stark on Nebula on the ship. And I was just like, oh, no. Yeah, like them both thinking they're going to die and then we see Hawkeye's family dying and then we see Scott Lang coming back and like having to grapple with with what's gone on in his absence and like uh, Natasha's just kind of grasping at straws for leadership of, of the people that are left and Captain America's running a support group like it's it is it's it's rough. 
And then you see the glimmer hope with Scott Lang. Tony, like Tony has a family. He's really the one great spot of it. And the whole time you just know something's bad going to happen to him, which, which also makes it its own sort of sadness. Uh, what did you guys think of the element of the time heist? I loved it. And they, cause they even went with it too. We're going to make, you know, we're going to, we're going to address it. And guess what? We're going to make fun of it too. I absolutely loved it. I loved parts of it. This is another thing that I liked more the second time around. The the first time, I love Doctor Who, and point of order, Time Heist is, is an episode of Doctor Who, but um, beyond that show, time travel never really works for me as a plot element, because it never, implications and the, like the structure of it never really work out the way people think it's going to. Putting that aside, on, on the second and third rewatches, I, I did like it a lot more. The main thing I liked about it was being able to see kind of like behind the scenes footage of previous movies. You got to see how Hydra got the scepter. You got to see Robert Redford make an appearance in the lobby of Stark Tower and be like, we want the cube back and struggle for jurisdiction and that kind of thing. So it was, it was neat to see kind of like fill in the blanks of things that had been cut from previous movies. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, that was actually my favorite part of the time heist, I think, was their them going back to post-Battle of New York uh, with Ant-Man, uh, especially Captain America meeting his old self and Ant-Man telling him that that's America's ass. And then him fighting him and Captain America going, I can do this all day. And you see just the older Captain America just exasperated with like the earnestness of it. But I'm with you, Christian. I do appreciate that they really tried to explain the science behind <laughs> the time traveling parts. And I was, I was really worried this movie was going to lean even further into the time travel than they did, which they did pretty heavily. And, you know, I like that they pointed out every movie that this wasn't like, but at the end of the day, it's such a convoluted plot point that it it does mire it a little bit to me. Well, they, they went out of their way to explain how time travel doesn't work, but I felt like they never really established how it does work. Because so what what they're essentially saying is when you go back to the past, you're creating an alternate timeline, right? Like you're not affecting your own future. Like you can't like act yourself out of existence. But if that's the case, then like, and and I don't want to jump around too much, but if that's the case, then Captain America should not be on that bench at the end. He should be in another timeline. So I I looked through this one and the idea was this that he went back, lived through an alternate timeline. Once he reached that point, he then hopped back to this timeline, which really is a different reality at this point, and waited at the bench. That was the best explanation I could find for that one, but I agree, it, it did not make a ton of sense. All right, well, yeah, at least that's reasonable then, because I was really like, no, like it's the logic isn't even internally consistent. But if if we're gonna if we're gonna say that, then that's that like skirts the rule, I guess that's okay. So the idea of the reverse time heist then of Cap has to go back and put the stones back where they were. I enjoyed that they cleverly edit this so that you don't see him putting the stones back because some of that would be ridiculous. Like giving the stone back to the the Sorcerer Supreme, that's fine. Like you know, here we took this, you can have it back. But yeah, you'd have to give the stone back to Red Skull. And then you'd somehow have to put the Aether back into Jane. Awkward. <laughs> so like some of these don't hold up on closer inspection. Well, no, how about we address Nebula's situation? 
Oh, with with the idea, like with the, her being in the two timeline and the same timeline, the two of them, and how they were able to connect. So, what did you think about that, Christian? It made sense. Uh, I feel like it's something. I feel like it's something that Nebula should have probably been aware of going into it. But I mean, I guess if there's never been two of them before, maybe she wouldn't have known that that would happen. But I feel like she at least could have been like, "Hey, maybe take me to one of the." one of the timelines where I'm not going to be nearby like my other self, just in case. Well, she actually, she actually did address that. She goes, I was helping trying to find the power stone in 2014 too, but they still brought her there too. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, it, it, it worked. It's, it's not, it wasn't something that I was like sighing and groaning at. I thought it was, it was an interesting choice to have them be able to be, networked together like two computers i thought that was uh, uh actually kind of a clever move i will say i really like nebula's growth over these movies definitely agree especially in that opening scene with tony stark and like you really see the juxtaposition of what she was and what she has become when she meets herself and ends up having to kill her yeah because she's she's really like they they show her kind of as a conflicted character, like her younger self, but also like very like zealous to the point of, of like, I'm going to help my father no matter what. And maybe then he'll love me kind of a thing. And and yeah, like having her break free and be her own person is, is like that's enormous growth. Um, what did you guys think about the final battle? So I'm going to compare this to the final confrontation in Infinity War, which left me like, and again, it's my number one, as much as I love that movie, the final confrontation in Infinity War left me a bit underwhelmed in certain parts because they were all split up, right? Instead of one final confrontation, we had to have two. We had to have the Guardians fight him on Titan with Tony and Spider-Man, and then we had to have the Avengers fight him in Wakanda as two different fights. And that was fine. That was a good way to handle it. Like it, it addressed the pacing issues that we were afraid of. But the final confrontation in this, oh my God, it gave me everything that I've ever wanted from any of these movies for the past 11 years. It was sublime. It, it looked like you were like when you were looking at it at the screen, it was like a two page comic book uh, layout like that. That's how, that's what it looked like. It was just like, wow. Absolutely. When those portals opened up, I, I died and I went to heaven and then I came back into my body and finished watching this movie. That part was amazing. Like as devastating as a snap was like that scene when Captain America is sitting there, you hear Falcon radioing him in and then you just see every you see the Asgardians, you see uh, the monks, you see. You see the Guardians come through. You... That is amazing. Yeah, and it was like it was people that weren't even in Infinity War. They like they went and they grabbed everybody who's been in a Marvel movie since the beginning to to come through one of those portals. And it was just it was so satisfying. Even Doctor Strange, even Doctor Strange asked Wong, he goes, Did you get everybody? You wanted more? <laughs> as much as Thanos was a force of nature in the infinity war, you saw that this was his reckoning. Like the universe has responded to him just to back up a little bit. Captain America wielding Thor's hammer, pretty awesome. And a really cool callback to age of Ultron. 
Yes, for sure. Yes, and then him saying, "You, I knew it." That was the scene, like in in Infinity War. I was in the theater for opening night when Thor came down and, and had the the axe, and he landed in Wakanda. Everybody started cheering when Cap showed up in in that train station. Everybody started cheering, but in this one, when Cap uh, summons the hammer, when he he wields Mjolnir for the first time, that was the one. That was when everybody lost their minds. I will say this took the top spot for me as far as score goes because they did such an outstanding job with the music of this weaving in all the different characters themes from the different movies and the different storylines and things throughout the years when Captain America shows up on screen you you hear the Captain America march which is not something we got in Infinity War when he showed up for the first time we got the Avengers theme which was kind of just played throughout but in this one you got each individual character's jingle throughout the movie when you saw ant-man you got the ant-man theme when you saw iron man you got the iron man theme when you saw thanos you got the thanos theme like it was and none of them were individual they were all kind of just woven throughout each other it was fantastically done and you even heard the captain marvel theme yep and speaking of callbacks how great is the final line where tony stark says i am iron man and then snaps I think that was another time where the uh, the audience lost their minds. But then they there was the repercussion afterwards. On the flip side of that, then, the, the sad scenes at the end of Infinity War were met with complete silence from the, the music. Whereas the scenes at the end of this got, like, an overwhelming, like, very sad score behind, like, the funeral and, and the saying goodbye to Tony scenes. And I think that kind of punctuated that this was still a victory even though like it came at a cost my favorite scene in maybe all the movies was the all-female charge oh the portals opening up was incredible but the the all-female charge I i don't know what it was man like i i could watch that scene just over and over and over and over again with without ever stopping for the rest of my life I, I think I lost, I, I, I was like with Christian. Um, I think what it is, is that I, the second time I watched it, I actually got emotional over it because it was the fact that all my, you know, when I was growing up, I never had a female, I guess a female superhero to look up to. And to see that kind of just be right in front of my face, all those females and it wasn't even down to the point where it was shoving it in their face, in our face, you know, they saying, oh, you know, hear us, hear us roar. It was just a few seconds. I'm saying it was just a few seconds that I needed when I was a kid. So any, I mean, that it was just, I don't, I don't, I'm getting actually choked up just thinking about it now, because that is something that I always wanted when I was growing up and I finally was able to see it. And I think I think the power of it comes from it's it's not just boom they're all there like they just kind of land one at a time and they each get their own like you know half second moment to be like all right now I'm here now I'm here now I and the the camera keeps like zooming out and there's they just keep coming oh man it's great well and then it was just the line too saying like Peter goes how are you going to get through that and then who is it Okoya goes she'll have help. And I went, oh, wow. And that's when it pans out to all of them are like, oh, okay, I'm in. 
So I'm going to move this into the the real uh, real elephant in the room. Did Captain America make out with his stepniece in Civil War? We don't speak of this. So this is what I mean when I say things like time travel has implications that nobody thinks about. Because I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I mean, when they showed him dancing with Peggy Carter at the end, my initial thought was not, good for him. He finally got the rest. My thought was, wait a minute, did he make out with her, his granddaughter? And then I, was, I had to look it up. It's like, no, it's his grandniece, hopefully by marriage. So I had a similar thought. I had I did not go immediately to Sharon Carter. My thought was, did he steal that woman's family from her? <laughs> because Peggy Carter has, like, a husband and children, I think, in, in the real timeline. So, like, unless... Uh, yeah, I mean, time travel's always crazy. Like, unless it was always him, he for sure, like, stole part of her life away from her. Was he in the shadows this whole time? <laughs> That's kind of creepy now. And on, and on a strong note. <laughs> time travel, man. Lingering mysteries, I guess. Is Loki still alive? Oh, yes. Well, on a streaming service, he is. Can you use the Tesseract to go between, like, timeline realities? Like, yeah, I'm I'm curious about that, too. Yeah, I don't know. Like, they for, like he for sure got away. So, like, I would not be surprised if he pops up somewhere at some point, um, even if it's just, like, a, a little moment of, like, yeah, I'm still, like, hanging out here somewhere. But with no character growth? Uh, yeah, I guess they would undo all his character growth since this is uh, 2014, Loki. There is there more implication with the actual snap, like when when you, he just you know when you, you resnapped and brought everybody back, did something happen with dimensions? That's in the Spider-Man trailer, right? Like Mysterio is is not from our reality; he's from one of the other universes. Yeah, he got caught in the rift, allegedly. But we don't. I don't really take much to account that Mysterio's telling the truth. Uh, the other mystery I have written down is, is Gamora still alive? Yeah, some form of her. Like, we have no idea. Because if, like, Iron Man snapped and got rid of all of Thanos' people, Gamora was one of Thanos' people at this point in the story. Like, she she had betrayed him literally, like, minutes earlier. And did Iron Man know that? <laughs> because at the end, at the end, Quill has the the ship searching for her and it's not finding anything. It's just saying searching. So I, I guess we'll find out about that in guardians three. Possibly as guardians of the galaxy, which I'm hope I'm hoping Thor joins the crew. One missed opportunity. They made such a big point about Thor being in such good shape and in better shape than Peter Quill in infinity war. I, he, sh they should have had some punch at Thor from Quill. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that, but that's that's absolutely true. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, I was I was really hoping he was going to slim down through the course of this movie. The one moment that I absolutely also loved was his that we got to see more of Rene Russo, who you may remember me saying the MCU was was worse off for us having lost her as a character. I was I was I really enjoyed the uh, the Thor and Frigga moment that we got to have. I think she actually had more lines in this movie than the two first Thor movies. That's almost certainly true. That scene between he and, you know, the idea of him getting uh, his hammer back. It takes a minute. Something I'm just thinking of now, it would have been nice during the all-female charge to see uh, 
Lady Sif, even even just as like a, a pop up to say, yes, I'm still alive somewhere. Uh, I think Jamie uh, Alexander was filming Blind Spot. All right, guys, thanks for checking out our four part MCU movie review. It was pretty much uh, a whole month if you have been listening. So thank you for for following along with us. Next week we'll be getting back to our standard format, so we're we're I'm I'm looking forward to that a little bit. I am a little bit Marvel movied out at this point. Yeah. Adrian, thank you for joining us for these four weeks. I think it lasted a little bit longer. I think we originally said we'd do this in two episodes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but thank you for having me for all four weeks. Of course. If you guys want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Gambots Network, or you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.